we have been on a, a reading plan as a church out of 1 Corinthians, and so we're reading through the book of Corinthians right now. And um, if you're with us as a guest, you're kind of going to get in on a series that I've been uh, preaching on called The Power of Correction. And uh, we, <clears throat> we all like to be corrected, don't we? We're actually supposed to love and enjoy correction. And the book of Corinthians is all about God correcting a church. And I love that God corrects his church, aren't you? Aren't you glad God convicts you? It's like we sang the song this morning, the word of God says who I am, but the word of God also tells me who I'm supposed to be and how I'm to live and how I'm to, uh, to, to, to walk in my life. And so the Word of God is such a beautiful thing, and it's to bring correction. It's to bring uh, change in our hearts. Amen? And I don't know about you, I've been a Christian for a long time, and he's still working change in me. How about you? Amen. And so Paul, as he writes the book of Corinthians, he is giving all these areas where the church needs change. It needs corrected. And so we've been going you know, through it. And, and I've been teaching on it some, and then we go, we, we're going back and forth, in and out of it. And so, um, just if you're a guest with us, just the, the first couple chapters of Corinthians, uh, Paul corrects the church when it comes to uh, disunity in the church. There was fighting and quarreling going on in the church, and he begins to correct them on that. Some were following Paul, some were following Apollos, and there was this divide rather than them being unified. There was disunity in the congregation, and Paul was correcting that. And then we moved into chapters 3 and 4, and Paul begins to correct spiritual immaturity. And, and so we talked a little bit about that, but not much. And then we get into chapter 5, and I talked about that quite a bit a couple weeks ago two, maybe three weeks ago, I can't remember, and chapter five talks about sexual immorality. Guys remember that? And Paul defines what sexual immorality is, and, and so Paul is correcting the church because in the church they were allowing some things to go on sexually that should have been confronted, and they weren't confronting it. And so Paul corrects their mentality and their thinking when it comes to sex. And so we talked about that a little bit. And then chapter six, we didn't get a preach on, but we, chapter 6 talked about conflicts among believers, lawsuits, that wow, you have a lawsuit between two Christian brothers and, and shouldn't that be dealt with within the church instead of going to Judge Judy and dealing with it? Shouldn't you deal with it within the church? And so chapter 6 goes into that. And then chapter 7, he, Paul begins to correct them on marriage and divorce. And when is it legal to divorce? When is it right to divorce? When is it not right to divorce? What about widows? What about virgins? What about, you know, whether we want to marry, don't want to marry? I mean, he goes through all about and brings correction to the Corinthian church about all that stuff, about marriage. And now we get to chapter 8, and you think, chapter 8 doesn't, doesn't make sense to any of us. But he and then he, he addresses in chapter 8, which is what I'm going to talk about today. He begins to correct the church when it comes to uh, food sacrificed to idols. And so you might be thinking, well, Eric, how in the world are you going to preach a message on food sacrifice to idols? We don't sacrifice animals anymore. We're, we're not doing any sacrificing of idols. And so I'm going to attempt 
to go into chapter 8 and bring something that what Christ, was, what Christ wants to us to get inside of our hearts is how we carry our hearts in an area. And so I believe once I get done, you go, ah, I see where you're going with that. So are you willing to let God correct you in maybe if you have some things and thoughts, processes that maybe do not line up with the word of God? So we're going to go into this issue of food sacrifice to idols. And what we're going to do is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 only has 13 verses. It is a short chapter, and we're going to read all of them today to be in, to, just to see the overall arching view of it. And then I'm going to start tapping into it. Because what I've been doing is we're just kind of going line upon line, and we're teaching through the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying it. I hope you have been. It has been really, really good. And what's beautiful about this is... You can't say, oh, Eric's just picking on a certain topic because, man, Paul's talking about all the topics. Because what had happened in the context of this scripture is the church in Corinth was having problems and they were asking Paul, is it okay if a Christian does this? Is it okay if a Christian does that? Is it, is it, what, what are we supposed to do with these issues? And basically what Paul does with this letter is he lays out what God's perspective is on all this stuff. And that's how we're to line our lives up with the Word of God. Can I have an amen again? I need for you to help me preach the gospel. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to read this line upon line for a second, and then I'm going to jump into it and help us to begin to digest what is Paul really trying to do? What correction is he really trying to bring? Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I could almost made my message that. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I could really divert really quick there because knowledge, when it puffs up, it's puffing you up. But love is more concerned about building somebody else up than yourself. But we won't go there right now. That's just a rabbit trail. But I might get back to it later. But whoever loves God is known by God. Now that I have underlined in my Bible because he goes, but all this, but <laughs> it's not about who you know, but who knows you. <laughs> God knows you. If you love God, you are known by him. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. So he's responding to their letter. He's responding to their request about they're asking the question, hey, Paul, what about food sacrificed to idols? He said, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Now, what he's not saying is that there are actual lords, but there are people who celebrate, there are people who worship other lords and other gods, but they're false gods, right? Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as have been, having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But, God's, but food does not bring us near to God. But food does not bring us near to God. 
We are no worse if we do not eat, but we are no better if we do. And here's the exhortation. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed, or that word is spiritually made weak or physically made weak or emotionally made weak, that they are destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them, ouch, when you sin against them in this way and you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Father, would you bless the reading of your amazing word? Would you give us insight into the scripture today, God? And would you bring illumination and would you bring correction to our hearts in what you're speaking through Paul in this passage in Jesus' name? Amen. Now, at first appearance, when I read this, and as I've been studying this this week and just seeking God on direction, you would think at first glance that Paul is actually coming against something that he has already spoken. Because if you remember when we were in our reading plan, Acts 15, which has been several months ago, in Acts 15, Paul says that when he, they, there, there was this argument that broke out in the Jerusalem church as to these Gentiles up in Antioch were starting to get born again, and they were getting saved, and they were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you'll remember when we were reading, we're reading those chapters, it was like, whoa, salvation is even coming to the Gentiles? It's not just for the Jew? And so at that time, they were questioning, oh, does the Gentile need to be circumcised? Does, this, does Gentiles need to do the rituals that we do as Jews now that they have come to Christ? And the Jerusalem council at that time said, hey, guys, we do not believe that God is requiring the Gentile to be circumcised. Can all you Gentiles say glory, hallelujah? But there were four things at that time in the council that the council at Jerusalem said that what Gentiles should do, and at that time it was, number one, they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols. They should abstain from blood, and they should abstain from strangled animals, and they should abstain from sexual immorality. And so there was a passage in Acts where the Gentiles were told not not to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now Paul is saying something maybe appears a little contrary. That now, four and a half to six years later, after the Gentiles have come to know Christ and they have matured in their walk with Jesus, is Paul actually saying that no, now you don't have to abstain from uh, idols or from food sacrificed to idols? Well, what I want to do is I want to, I want to, I got to give you a little history today on what was going on in the Corinthian church, how the Corinthian church thought they had a Greek mentality. Everybody say Greek mentality. They were polytheists. Polytheists means they believed in multiple gods. They believed in the Greek mythology that is taught in schools. Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollos. They believed 
in multiple gods. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. Everybody say amen on that. There are not multiple gods, and that's where we're going in this passage. But what happened in history and what happened in the day of Corinth and even in Jerusalem and all throughout that region, because many, many people were polytheists. They believed in multiple gods. Okay? And so what they would do is they would pray to Zeus a different way. They would pray to Aphrodite. And what they would do is they would literally offer sacrifices, an animal sacrifice, for, to Zeus. So, for example, if a woman was infertile and her and her husband were wanting to have children, what they would do is they would offer an animal to Aphrodite. Why would they offer a, uh, an animal to Aphrodite? They would offer her, uh, Aphrodite, an, an animal because she was the goddess of love and fertility. So they believed that if I offered the sacrifice to this, this god, that then I would become pregnant. Or they would, they would do Jupiter. Or you know, if, if they were having problems with their crops or there was a drought, they would offer sacrifices to these gods in order to get what they wanted. Kind of like what happens in America. We sometimes serve God to get what we... Oh, nobody here does that. But whatever. So, what to do? So they would come to the temple of that God. Aphrodite was on a hill 1,900 feet above. I, I shared that when we first started Corinthians. Her temple was 1,900 feet up on this big mountain overlooking the ocean and overlooking Corinth. And a priest would then take an animal... And one-third of that animal would be sacrificed on the altar. It would be burned and consumed. And that was for the goddess Aphrodite. One-third of the sacrifice would be given to the priest for him to eat. And one-third of the sacrifice would be given to the family, and they would take that home to eat dinner that night. But the priest had so many offerings and so much going on, he couldn't consume that kind of meat. So what would he do? He would sell the meat in the meat market. And, they, and people would buy, and it was cheaper to buy meat sacrificed to idols in the meat market. Are you guys with me? There was also an, a restaurant in the temple, and he would also allow the meat to be sold. So you could have a Zeus burger or an Aphrodite filet. <laughs> so you could, you could, you could, there was a restaurant in the temple, and you could buy that food. And so I'm putting this in context because when he's saying... You know, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Can we, can we do this as Christians? There was conflict in the church because what they call the stronger Christians believe they were just fine. They're just idols. They mean nothing. A weaker Christian, someone who was more aware in their conscience, they called it weak. We're not talking about weak in faith. We're talking about weak in knowledge. We're not talking about weak and self-control. We're talking about knowledge, knowledge of truth. And Paul, I believe, does a really good job when he says, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up and build, love builds up. But he says this, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. So he starts this whole thing up with, you think you may know what you think you know, but guess what? You may not know what you think you know. You don't know what you don't know. But we all have an opinion. 
Now, we're not sacrificing idols these days. Our idols are a little different in our culture. But I'm going to probably make you a little mad today. Are you guys okay with getting a little mad today at Eric? I want to get you a little mad. I'm going to go and I'm going to talk into some areas that are what I call the gray areas of Christianity. Now, they may not be gray to you. You may have a really strong opinion on some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today. My goal is to make you mad first. But after I make you mad, I want to make you mad so that you understand what Paul was trying to do. Does that make sense? I'm not getting you mad just because I want to get you mad. I want to get you mad because that was what was going on in the Corinthian church because they were angry because certain Christians believe certain things were... Because really this whole chapter is about Christians' freedoms, Christian um, freedoms in our faith. What can a Christian do and what can a Christian not do? Amen. Would you like to know yes. what Paul was trying to do? Yes. And I will say this. According to Eric, what I believe the Word of God is saying. Check me out. Study it for yourself. But this is what I believe where we're headed today. So the context of this chapter is all about Christian liberty. What can I and what can I not do as Christian? What liberty do I have? And we are free in his, is this instance. Are we free to eat meat sacrificed to idols or should we not? In our culture... We have some gray areas. In our culture, we do, we do have gray areas, and I believe Paul is trying to do something here. And we can learn from Paul on how we are to carry our heart with others in these gray areas. Paul was correcting them in how they were carrying their heart, and we can learn from his example here to make sure we are carrying our hearts right when it comes to gray areas. So now let's go to some gray areas in the American Christian culture. Now what I will say, and I almost, <sighs> this has a lot to do with culture because culture has really changed a lot. And you say, how is it cultural? Well, culture had already changed and Paul had already, Paul was, Paul, I wouldn't say he changed his position, but he obviously come, is coming off the food sacrificed to idols a little bit here. But what about stuff like, um, and this may not be great to you, but drinking, smoking, social media choices, types of movies we show and watch, music choices, Christian, non-Christian, violent video games, any kind of video game, skipping church to attend a sporting event. I'll really get somebody out on that one. Swearing, take the Lord's name in vain, all kinds of stuff. Celebrating Halloween and other holidays that are considered pagan. Speeding, whatever, I don't know, make out, making out with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Is it legal for a, church, a Christian boy to do that or not? <laughs> How about modesty in dress? Ooh, dog, you talk about getting some people hot under the collar. I can show my cleavage if I want. You sure can. You have the right to do that. Is it beneficial? <laughs> oh, it gets a lot of attention. <laughs> I 
I can remember when I was growing up, and when I say cultural, my grandmother, who was not religious whatsoever, always wore a dress. Always wore a dress. It was part of the culture. Her grandmother wore a dress all the time. Even your mom did for years and years and years. It's funny. I was getting a massage. Actually, my wife was getting a massage. I was communicating with the person giving her the massage. And we were talking about in the day and how TV, you couldn't own a TV. Some Christians couldn't own a TV back years ago. Believe it or not, it was evil. Matter of fact, I had a buddy in high school that they had their TV inside a closed cabinet because anybody that came over from church so they wouldn't see the TV. That's righteous. <laughs> but we were talking to this guy, and he says, oh, yeah, my mom and dad still don't have a TV. <laughs> really? Wow. Dang. They are full blow, you know, that. And they believe it's a salvation issue that you, they believe it's essential. But yet they'll watch movies on the computer. Whatever. I said, really? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's for sure. There is much conflict in churches on gray areas, is there not? There are Christians who feel they have the freedom to do things, and there are Christians who do not feel that they have the freedom to do things. That's really the context that Paul is talking about in this chapter. Even things like honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, Christians are all over the map on that, even though it's one of the Ten Commandments. We are all over the map. Would you not agree? There are some people who will not miss a Sabbath and church for nothing. But there are others who take it so flippantly, and it's not even an issue. And they think they have the freedom to do that. Some people feel they can miss for any reason they want. And in this chapter, Paul's answering this question, what am I free to do and what am I not free to do? And so, I want to say that there is a caveat, there is a warning here when I'm starting to go down this path because you can take whatever, I mean, I can get frustrated here when people don't reverence the Lord and they don't worship the Lord. I can make that an essential issue and I can say, you got a major problem, right? We can take, I'm sure there's things floating through your brain on what you think some Christians do that they shouldn't do. And I'm sure you have things in your brain that may be ticking around. But here's one thing that I want to make clear is we have to focus on what is essential and non-essential and what is the difference between essential and non-essential in our faith. So there are many things in the Bible that are black and white, right? They're spelled out and they're essential. This is, this is how a Christian should obey God. This is 
how a Christian should not obey God. This is what we should do. This is what we should not do. Even a couple weeks ago when I talked about sexual immorality, there is specific things that are in the Bible that what sexual immorality is, and the Bible says those who live like that, who practice that, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's essential. Are you in agreement with me? And many Christians try to make that essential a non-essential, that there is gray. And our culture is going through a major metamorphosis right now on what we're going to deem as the Lord's way or not the Lord's way. Are we not? And so I dealt with that several weeks ago. And so you you can say sexual immorality is okay, and you can say it's not essential, but the Bible makes it very clear that sex acts outside of marriage is not what God has for his people. Can I have an amen? amen? The Bible is also very specific that marriage is between one man and one woman. It's very specific about what it says that marriage is for and how he created it. Our culture is trying to identify it, re-identify it. I get that. But as far as a Christian, the Bible says... It's not with man and man and woman and woman. It wasn't Adam and Steve. You may not like me because of that, and I get it. God has black and white essentials. They are essentials to our faith, and he's calling the church to live a holiness and a place of righteousness. This is what he said. This is... is, this is, I'm not trying to not have fun with you. I, 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 I have standards, and they're black and white, and they're essential, okay? I know some will get mad at that. I'm not going to apologize for God's standards. I love his standards, and what we don't know is exactly what the Scripture just said, what we just read. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know why God has that standard, but he's protecting us from something, and he wants holy offspring, and there's a purpose under heaven why, why he does what he does. Can I have an amen on that? And I don't have to know all the, I don't have all the details. I can't let my pride dictate to me. I have to allow the word of God to be what informs me. I have to allow the word of God. I have to move towards the word of God and obedience to the word of God in these black and white issues. Right? So, Where the Bible is very specific, I call that essential, and it's truth to be obeyed. But there are non-essentials that the Bible is not specific on. I believe you will not go to hell, and some will disagree with me on this. I do not believe you will go to hell if you smoke a cigarette. You may smell like you've been there. Does it affect your temple? Is it beneficial? This is another nice two of you. You will not go to hell for being obese. Is it helpful and beneficial? Does it affect my temple? And there are issues in the Word of God where it warns about gluttony, right? And so I don't want to take a non-essential. There is issues in the Word. And I, when, I, when I started losing weight this last year, it was all because I started studying about gluttony and I started studying the Word of God 
about how I was dishonoring the Lord and not obeying him. But that's not where God started with me. Okay? And it was that that led me to do what I'm doing. It's the word of God conforming my life to him rather than my lusts. And being controlled by my lusts. And are we willing to be confronted? Are we willing to change? Are we willing to obey God when his word says something? I believe that's a people here that's that way. We're that, that's who we are. Can I have an amen? Amen. <clears throat> Drinking is a gray area. It may not be gray to you. But it, 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 is, it is great to a lot of people. People have strong opinions on this, and that is what Paul is addressing in this correction to the church. So I want to give you an example of my life and what happened with me. I love stories. I think they paint pictures. So when I was a sophomore in college, and I know I've shared this story many times. This is about drinking. And I had been saved. I gotten saved when I was 12 or 13 at church camp. Hey, church camp, what do you think about church camp, guys? <laughs> I got saved there. Mm. And uh, even it was a holiness church camp. And so I had a tank top on and T-shirts, and I went to play basketball at church camp, and I got sent back to my room and said, get clothes on, boy. <laughs> that wasn't modest back then. Non-essential, but we won't go there. I was saved early, and at 16, I recommitted my life to Christ to follow him, and I said, I'll never turn back. But when I was a sophomore in college, I was eating out at Red Lobster, and there was a Christian singer-artist that was in Red Lobster that I adored, and his music had touched my heart in my faith journey. And he was drinking alcohol. And I couldn't take my eyes off of him. It was like, and I was so disappointed. I was so hurt. It was like, God, how can he have the liberty to drink alcohol? Now, I know there's a lot of people to drink alcohol in here, and I'm not trying to step on your toes, but I hope you get ticked off. Because <laughs> at that time in my life, I, I considered alcohol as an essential that that is not something you compromise with. But I hate to tell you this, but alcohol is a little gray area because the Bible specifically says don't get drunk. And drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there, is, it, there it becomes essential and it becomes black and white because drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, but for me it was an essential because, it, and it hurt me, and I was very offended. And here's what happened to me. My, that was my sophomore year in college. In my junior year in college, I started to taste beer. I started to go against what I felt was right for me. Now, I hate beer, and I do not drink to this day. I do not drink alcohol, not because I believe it's essential. I don't drink because I will not hurt someone else. When someone else sees Eric Haler 
out and I've got a case of beer in my cart, that's why I don't drink. Because it is not an essential. It is, it is, the Bible doesn't say you cannot drink alcohol. It says that let nothing control you. Now, I don't know where you stand on it. All I'm saying is it affected me, and I struggled with judgment, and I struggled with confusion, and it really hurt me as a Christian. Now, you might say, hey, Eric, that's your problem. That is not the Christian artist's issue. I, I agree. That was my issue. I would agree with you. I could also say that to a woman, a Christian woman, and I see her at the Y, and I so, see so much cleave, cleavage, I'm tempted to lust after her. And you can say, Eric, that's your issue. Absolutely, it's my issue. And that's what Paul's talking about. Here's where I really want to tick you off. You think you have the liberty to do whatever you want. But Paul is actually talking that, no, you do not have the right to do whatever you want. That actually, you're to carry your heart in love. And love builds up and is concerned about your brother and sister in Christ. Amen. That's what Paul is talking about. So whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, whether you let your things hang all out or not, whether you drink beer, whether you smoke, whether you do whatever is might be in the gray area that you think you have the right to do, you may not know what you think you know. That's really what Paul is talking about here. He's saying you have rights. You think you can be free to do whatever you want to do. He's actually saying, no, you don't. You're actually sinning against them, and you're sinning against Christ. Ouch, Amola! Eric, I don't want to live as a people pleaser. I'm not talking about people pleasing. I'm talking about honor. I'm talking that I am more concerned about others and how they perceive or where they're at in their faith, how what my actions might affect them or cause them to sin or to... What if I had to become an alcoholic after that? Wouldn't have been that guy's fault. Would have been mine. But he wasn't concerned. And, and God has to deal with all of us. But really what Paul's talking about here is you think you know what you think. And he's really confronting a Greek mentality. Because the Greek mentality of Corinth was, I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it. If it feels good, do it. You can do what you want. No one has the right to tell you you can't do it. Does that sound familiar? Is that just Corinth? You be you. Don't, don't invade my space and make your problem my problem. You be you. I'm feeling good about this sexual immorality. I'm feeling good about this tapping down a whiskey. Whatever. I'm not really trying to get on taboos. I'm really not trying to get... I'm, I do want to make you think. I mean, I can remember playing basketball intramural at Ball State University, and we'd, I'd play basketball, and, we'd have, and man, there's this guy, we were playing basketball, and man, every time he'd miss a shot, Jesus Christ, man, it started getting under my skin, it's like, quit taking his name in vain, you're a Christian, boy, and he kept doing it, and I said, dude, I didn't know you were a Christian, you love Jesus Christ, too? 
He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you keep say, praising his name and you keep saying Jesus Christ. It's like, dude, what's going on? And I know how many, I mean, Christians take God's name in vain all the time. I hear it all the time. Is it a liberty I should do? Is it hurting somebody? Is it maybe encouraging someone else to sin and takes the Lord's name in vain? Oh, Eric, you're dabbling. You're dabbling. You're dabbling, man. You're dabbling. Exactly. So what is Paul correcting them about in this passage, about meat sacrificed idols? He confronts and corrects them, and he, con and he confronts their attitude, and he warns them as he sums up the verse with this. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Is there any of your actions or what you think you have the freedom to do, could it be causing someone else to stumble? Because then he goes further and he says, when you sin against them in this way and you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Can your drinking liberty cause someone to sin? Can your liberty to dress a certain way cause someone to sin? Does your rights ever affect someone else? You're eating meat. Whatever. You can't just say it's your issue. That was what was going on in the Corinthian church, and that was why, because, man, when we get further into Corinthians, when it comes to spiritual gifts, he, he starts correcting them on the same issue there. You, you do your spiritual gifts, and you're not worried about how it's affecting somebody else. You'll talk, talk in tongues, and you'll... In front of somebody, and it's actually... Then they think you're nuts. But you're not even concerned about your brother. I, 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 when I'm around my Baptist brothers, I'm not going, she can't be cuckoo-cuckoo-ba-da-da. I don't want to cause them to sin. I don't want to cause them pain. Now, if God's having me deal with them and he's challenging me to challenge them, sure, I'm going to talk about it. But he, he, he even goes, your liberty to speak in tongues later is not just when you want to do it. He actually puts some boundaries on speaking tongues. He puts some boundaries on prophecy. He puts some boundaries like what we have. Hey, if you get a word, we're going we're gonna to test it. You come to the prophetic over here and you go, hey, this is what I'm sensing from the Lord. Hey, I think that's for you. Don't think that's for the whole body. Okay, no problem. Am I making anybody mad yet? You can't just say it's your issue. Paul says, I'll never drink again. I will not put my freedom of choice over someone else's heart. That's, how he's, that's what he's saying. And I want to tell you guys, in America, that is not how Christians live. Most Christians are living their life clueless to how they're affecting anybody else. It's not even on the radar. 
You can say, oh, Eric, you're just getting too legalistic. I'm just declaring what the Word of God says. You can say I'm interpreting it wrong, but really what he is really addressing is you think you know what you know. You think you're right, but you don't know as you should. He is really addressing their pride and their, their concern for themselves. That is more important to them than their care and their concern for their brothers and sisters. It's the same thing he's talking about with going to court. It's the same thing about suing your brother. He goes and he says, shouldn't you go ahead and give up your right to sue your brother and be wronged? Dang, I ain't going to lose that $5,000. He shammed me. But isn't he saying ultimately the same thing with all these issues that he's correcting? Is you're trying to get your rights taken care of rather than you being concerned about somebody else. And I tell you what, that really needs to change in the body of Christ. As Paul's actually saying, if you think you have that right and you don't care about somebody else, you're actually sinning against them. And your knowledge is puffing you up. And you've made it about you. However, Paul is wanting them to make it about Christ and about love. Is it really 1218? Holy moly. Did our worship go that long or am I that windy? Didn't even pay attention. Okay, I'll finish this. Can I have an amen? And there were no swearing. There was no coarse joking. So, so my question to us as I wind this down and I do respect our children's ministry workers and all that because thank God they lay their life down. Thank God none of you bailed on that workload and caused my wife to sin. Because <laughs> we never think about our actions of bailing out back there of how it might affect her or somebody else, right? Oh, it's even talking about that. Good point, Lord. Thank you. Are you concerned about others or are you concerned about your rights and your desires? Because that's really what Paul's addressing. So my question as we wind down today is, are you aware of how your actions and your decisions on what you feel you're free to do are you aware how it's affecting other people, other brothers and sisters in the Lord? I can give you an example in my own heart. When I didn't compromise with alcohol, when my friends were, it made a statement of faith. It made a statement of something, there's something different about Eric. He's not like one of us. When I went to Cannonsburg, Michigan with my wife, who was, I was kind of dating at the time, her floor and my floor in college came together and we did a ski trip and we went snow skiing. Can you see this rock hard body on the ski slopes? 
It was more like, oh, but Karen. And that's where I first compromised with a beer. And it was all my buddies that were drinking peppermint schnapps on Broad Street when I wouldn't do it when we were in high school. I had, they now saw me with a beer in my hand. I got one buddy that struggles with alcohol. I was not concerned about him. I wanted to look cool. I was not aware how my actions were affecting other people. I was not aware of my gluttony and my overweightness and how it was affecting people. I actually had people that had a hard time receiving my messages because of my overweightness. <clears throat> didn't realize I was tempting them in judgment. I didn't realize I was tempting them in unforgiveness towards me. Had no clue. So forgive me if that's one of you. That my sin or my liberty to indulge affected you. Please forgive me. I'm not there yet, but I am 63 pounds lighter. I'm getting there. So I've walked this too. I've not won this battle either. I have done things, Christian liberty, where I've affected other people. So I've had to repent myself. Not just pointing the fingers and going home, well, I hope they heard that. No, I'm preaching to myself. Are you, do you care about how your actions are affecting others? What liberty and freedom do you exercise that may be offending and causing someone to sin? I have caused my son Joel to sin when it comes to food. He is a foodie. I have affected my children. And by the way, Joel's possibly going to have his baby today. Be praying for them. She's seven minutes apart on contractions. We may be headed to Knoxville, Tennessee. How about you? My son, I have a son that's very impatient and can't put things together without getting mad. Thanks to me. Sorry, dude. What freedom do you have that you're actually causing someone else to sin or stumble, to cast judgment? What area are you compromising at work and maybe causing others to hurt or sin? What gray area maybe you're compromising? Would you allow the Spirit of God to correct you today? Would you be willing to say, I'll not eat meat if it causes someone else to stumble? I won't do this if it's affecting someone else. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would open the eyes of all of our hearts right now to what areas of what we think are our rights, our freedom to do whatever we think. God, would you begin to even now, Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts. 
Correct us, O God. Forgive us for living with no concern of how our life might affect someone else. Is there anyone willing to take any of that before the Lord? Oh God, help us to give our rights up to help others come to know you. Convict us now on, how, God, the areas that you want us to surrender to you. Father God, we give you our pride and our knowledge of what we think is right. And we surrender it to you, God. God, I pray that you would forgive us for our lack of concern for others in the body of Christ. And Father, today we say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to your ways. God, show us what you're wanting to show us. Here's what I believe by the Spirit. I believe each of us have a different area the Spirit of God is dealing with. Would you quiet yourself before the Lord and ask, God, is there an area you're wanting me to surrender to you that may be affecting others? Yes, Mavery, I heard that. Yep, you started early. Hmm. Is there an area that you need to apologize to people like I've done even this morning? And so maybe I've caused you to sin. Make it right. That's what Paul was trying to get him to do. He was trying to get them to lay down their rights. We're going to read next week about the rights he laid down of being paid by the Corinthian church. A laborer is worthy of his hire, but what he did is he did not take a paycheck from Corinth because of what was going on in Corinth. But that's not the principle that he laid down in all churches because in Philippi, he actually took a wage from the church. So it's not wrong for a minister of the gospel to get, receive money from the gospel, but Paul laid down that right so that the church in Corinth would not be hurt. What right is he asking you to lay down? Stand with me. Do you feel like you have an area that the Lord is dealing with you on? Or is it just confusion? Here's what I suggest this week that you do. I, I suggest that you go to God in prayer and begin to surrender. And you begin to talk to God. Is there a gray area in my life, God, that you're, wanting to that you're wanting me to deal with? Is there an area that maybe I've encouraged someone to sin by the way I'm living? Could this gray area cause someone offense or hurt? And are you going to be willing to allow God to correct you? That's going to take prayer. If it's not in your heart right now, you need to ask God, is there an area where, God, you're trying to deal with me on? That I have thought it was gray and I thought I had the liberty to do it, but maybe, God, you're saying I don't because of others. And you need to take that before the Lord and you need to bring that to the Lord this week. You need to pray about it. You need to surrender that. And if you know you've caused someone else to sin, what does the Bible say? 
If we cause a little one to sin, it would be better that a millstone be tied around our neck and we be thrown into the sea, a metaphor, not the actual thing God's wanting us to do. He's putting the seriousness behind when we cause someone else to sin or to stumble or to be offended. It's a serious matter. We're sinning against Christ. Does anybody want to sin against Christ? That's what chapter 8 is all about in 1 Corinthians. We're also going to read Romans 14. It goes a little more into this issue of giving up our rights. And then our reading this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll do a here journal on the scripture that God highlights. Maybe do a Lectio Divina prayer. Maybe do a, 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 a time where you just take that scripture that God highlights and you just bring it before the Lord and say, God, what are you trying to show me? Because 9 is going to go into how Paul gave up his rights. So look at this next chapter that we're getting ready to read in chapter 9. And look how Paul has the right, but he chooses not to take the right. Because he doesn't want to affect the church. And then we're going to memorize James chapter 111. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, God, as we march through this thing about food sacrifice to idols. Father, we do not want to have any idols in our life that may be hurting somebody else. So, Lord, today we've surrendered our heart. We're yielding it to you. And we say, God, may your kingdom come to our hearts. May your kingdom come to our thinking. God, will you renew our mind? Would you renew the way we think? Will God, would you show us that, that knowledge puffs us up, but love, it builds others up. So, God, we want to be about building others up. We want to be about helping others come to know you. God, help us with that. And, Lord, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.